Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about law, morality, sin, justice, righteousness, forgiveness, mercy, pretty lofty concepts. And we're going to be looking at this thread on Twitter by this individual, 0HP Lovecraft, who gives us some insight into how the world works. I think it's a very astute thread. And so we'll kind of read through it. We'll talk about it in relation to Christianity and the Bible. He writes, Right now, we exist in an overly permissive environment, a hyper-feminized environment, and this degrades our ability to discern right from wrong. That's because women don't respect laws. They only respect law givers. People are real to women. Abstractions are not. We can see this play out in American media. Let's take a very feminine movie that females tend to like, something like Pretty Women. The plot of Pretty Woman is that there's this prostitute who really has nothing going for her in her life. And due to nothing that she possesses in herself, all of a sudden she is thrust into this world, not of her own making, but uh, a rich man comes in to save the day. Rides in, white knight, is able to bring her out, pull her out through no effort on her own into this new life of luxury and happiness. The woman is very passive in this. She doesn't earn anything that she is given and everything is just given to her. A good a new example of this would be the Star Wars uh, new trilogy in which there's the main character who's Rey, who's instantly good at everything, able to fly uh, vehicles that she's never touched before in her life with ease, able to uh, kill three enemies in one shot. You know, you don't see the enemies die. You don't see her really killing them, but they blow up in their airplanes in one shot. And uh, she's just perfect in every way. She doesn't have drive, motivation, desire. She doesn't have flaws. There's no character arc. She's passive in this. She, she serves as a vehicle where women can project themselves into to experience the movie in which everyone loves her for no reason. Everyone instantly praises her for no reason. And this is pretty repulsive to men. So men tend not to like the new Star Wars trilogy because we don't see characters overcoming real struggles. There's there's no character arc. There's no development. We, we get no characterization. Uh, flaws are what makes people. Overcoming objectives, overcoming Hardship is what makes people. Men like to see people succeed on their own merits. Who's the best person for a job? Not based on race or sex or anything like that or sexual orientation. Men want to see the best person, the most capable person in those jobs. We want to see some sort of cosmic uh, justice, uh, in a sense, cosmic justice, a justice in which karma is in effect. People get what people deserve. That's what men want rule and sanction people being promoted people overcoming based on what they can accomplish so very masculine movies something like mel gibson's payback something like terminator even even the original alien even if uh it has a female protagonist a very masculine movie because there's an individual who overcomes her weaknesses to achieve results these, these are masculine-orientated films that resonate well with a masculine audience, as opposed to the new Star Wars, as opposed to something like Pretty Women. 
So we could just look at what type of media is consumed by females and what type of media is consumed by males. And we could see, we could see this, what he's talking about, play out in the real world. Zero HP Lovecraft writes, it's hardwired into our species. It's in the hardware layer and you'll never erase it. Protect the women because the women are worth more than the men. They really are. And so he's pointing out that women really are more valuable than men. We don't send our women to war. Uh, we, we try to protect our women. And what he quotes, he quotes uh, this, this fact that women receive lighter sentences for the same crimes as men. If you're a woman and you get pulled over by a cop, do you want that cop to be a man or a woman? If you're a woman and you're going before a judge, do you want that judge to be a man or a woman? You better say man because men have protective instincts. We see a woman and it doesn't matter. You could kill your kids. You could uh, kill your lover. Uh, it doesn't matter. You will be let go in the American justice system because we have less harsh punishment based on the gender. Women are treated with a double standard. So back to Zero, H.P. Lovecraft. Protect the women because women are worth more than men. They really are. And the rules will never apply to them. And he quotes this Rolf Degen saying, Female offenders are given more lenient sentences for the same crime than male ones, particularly by men. I like to think of uh, the poster that was put up on college campuses, which said that there's two individuals that get drunk. And so it's a poster trying to tell men not to have sex with drunk women. And he says, uh, then the poster says, the male was arrested afterwards for non-consensual sex. Well, if they're, were, if they're both drunk, shouldn't the same standards be held? No, men have a different standard. People don't care. People don't care about men. Men are disposable in the eyes of society. Lovecraft writes, women can't live by a moral law any more than a man can grow a womb and guess a, a fetus because when it comes down to it, the law will look the other way. They understand forgiveness and mercy, but sin eludes them. Women are not held to moral standards. The women are allowed to do anything. It's, it's interesting, you, you go on social media and if you criticize a woman's weight, Oh, you, you will get the mobs called down on you. They will come out with the pitchforks, with their uh, torches, and they will try to crucify you for suggesting that someone's healthier if they're skinnier. Suggesting that someone's more attractive if they're skinnier. Because women, apparently, they could have any body type they want, and you're supposed to just love them for who they are as a person in spite of gross personal habits. Men don't get the standard. A fat man is just an, just an ugly individual. They, they, they don't care. If you're a gross man, you're the bottom of society. And somewhere else, someone else on po Twitter pointed out that women compare themselves to the most successful men because they don't see non-successful men as human. They don't see unsuccessful men as human. And so when they're looking at the world, uh, even though men are primarily the ones in poverty, men have primarily all the mental issues, mental problems. It, men are the primarily victims of homelessness, of suicide, depression. Since women don't consider the low end of the spectrum actual men, you know, they compare themselves. They see CEOs who might have a better paycheck than them, and they'll be jealous of that without regard to the other half of society, the lower half, men men overwhelmingly make up the the low, degraded, homeless, mentally ill portion of society. Forgiveness divorced from a theory of sin is a formula for sociopathy. Let's read that again. Forgiveness divorced from a theory of sin is a formula for sociopathy. If you just give blank, blanket forgiveness to everyone, what's going to happen is moral anarchy. It's, it's going to happen as, as degeneracy 
wide scale because there's no standards. There's, there's, there's nothing to hold people accountable to. Anything goes in this system. And so you could have a system of laws, and if it's never enforced, if it's just blanket forgiveness, then it's anarchy, moral anarchy, degeneracy. Anything goes, as long as you do it nicely and gently. Don't hurt anyone's feelings. You could literally take kids, kids, uh, dress them up provocatively, have them dance for grown men in sexually suggestive scenarios, bring them to strip clubs and to dance for grown men. That sort of thing is accepted in the modern society. Whereas a normalcy, uh, Christianity is condemned. You can't stand on the corner with a sign that says, repent, God is going to judge you. Oh no, that is hateful and hurtful. But you can take a kid, dress him up in sexual clothes and have him dance for grown homosexual men. That's what society breeds. It's sociopathy. And he's pointing out that that is our current society in the U.S. is sociopathy. What, the only thing that's not allowed is having standards. H.P. Lovecraft writes, That's why women have no business making laws, because formal rule-based power is antithetical to female power, which is soft power. People who are congenitally exempt from the laws ought not to have a say in making them. If you don't think the rules apply to you, you should not be making the laws. In fact, everyone in Congress, uh, they, they pass Obamacare, they exempt themselves. These people have no business making laws if they're exempt from the laws. The only people who should be making laws are people who have to follow the same standards. Or else you get into a system like the U.S. where every single American citizen commits three felonies a day. And the government only selectively enforces who they're going to persecute. They're, they're political enemies. Uh, De Souza was uh, persecuted for con campaign contributions, where Rosie O'Donnell admitted to the same thing without consequence. Uh, rules are selectively enforced in a female system. They might have rules. Uh, the people might violate rules, but they're only enforced against the people who they don't like. This is a feminine system of power. In a feminine world, Good is when people esteem you. Evil is people who don't. That's why I say women can't understand the lawgiver, but not the law. But in a masculine world, which is invisible now, the lawgiver has to live up to the law because he is beneath it. A good example of this is uh, there's, there's some Facebook groups that I interact with that are primarily female. And if you say anything that people might conceive as not nice, instantly you'll have huge barrages of women giving you unsolicited advice about how to live your life and what to say, what type of tact to take. That Look at the arrogance in that, that they presume that they should be able to tell me, an internet stranger, how to live, how to act, how to behave. They are putting themselves in some sort of moral superior. Tone policing, tone policing is a female value. It's not about the content of what you say. It's not about the facts that you're putting forth. It's about your tone. And they think that they are in a position to control your behavior, to make you nice, to make uh, your tact the way that they perceive it should be. Just the, just the arrogance of that, the arrogance of this. Two possible orientations towards sin. Sin as transgression against others or sin as transgression against yourself. The later is the masculine way. Sin as a tangible record of the imperfections of your soul. I always like to think about uh, the what's in the Bible picture 
of Adam and Eve sinning. And then they have these little sin mites. And these sin mites will attach to them all over their body and hang with them. And so in normal Christianity, Christians view sin as some sort of metaphysical record that is attached to each individual. Like a list of sins that there's some sort of metaphysical mechanism that's not controlled, not forced by anyone, but automatically records and calculates your sin and pastes that onto you as a person. This is what he's talking about here. That's a very masculine way of looking at the world, which is maybe not the way that the Bible looks at the world. So if you're looking at uh, instances in Genesis of sin, sin tends to be transgression against others. If someone has harmed you in some way, then that would be considered a sin. And there's a good, uh, good paper on the Jewish concept of sin that maybe we should briefly look at. Here's a paper from the American Journal of Theology called The Hebrew View of Sin by Henry Preserved Smith. And this is uh, from 1911. So it's from the handgun, apparently. A large number of Old Testament passages show that a sin is anything which puts a man in the wrong with reference to another man, which offends him. Pharaoh's butler and baker offend their master and are put into prison. Laban pursues Jacob and reminds him that he is able to do him an injury. Jacob apostolates, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast hotly pursued me? Similarly, Abimelech to Abraham, What have I done to thee? And what have I sinned against thee that thou hast brought upon me and my kingdom? A great sin. David raises the same question when convinced of Saul's enmity. Japheth's argument with the Ammonites turns on the point of whether there has been actual injury, sin, to justify war. Judah will be a sinner against his father if he does not bring Benjamin back to him, and Bathsheba asserts that if Adoniah comes to the throne, she and Solomon will be sinners. In no one of these cases is there a question of the violation of some positive law or of deviation from a moral standard. The only thing which the writer has in mind is that there has been offense of one person by another. Similarly, when Hezekiah confesses to Shinnersherib that he has sinned, he does not mean that he did not act in good conscience in revolting, but that the events have put him in the power of his adversary. To this extent only, he is in the wrong. So in the Old Testament, this individual, this writer, doesn't affirm that this is the biblical standard for all time. He admits that the standard does change. But in the early books of the Bible, sin is anything which puts you in wrong with respect to someone else. So this is a very feminine concept of sin that we see in early Genesis, uh, up through, through the Kings, through Judges. And it's not tell the prophets that this author argues that we actually see some sort of moral code being enforced. So it could be the case, just, just bear with me here, it could be the case that in the Bible, God's standard was one in which people sinned by being in the wrong with one another, but then established a moral code by which people were guilty. So it could be the case that the moral standard that we have now was established at one point by God, whereas it was a looser standard before. That's that's one system that Christians don't want to consider. Uh, Christians tend to like the masculine concepts of sin, as this uh, Lovecraft guy argues, that the masculine concept of sin is that there is a moral code, and this moral code is absolute, uh, eternal for all of time. Sinning is a record of offenses against oneself. Sinning has this personal ramification. People are linked metaphysically 
to their sins, which is not necessarily the biblical position. But Christians often assume that that is the biblical position. That's the, that's the system that they want. That there's this metaphysical list of laws, and when you violate one of those laws, there's a metaphysical record that's attached to your person that grows along with as you age, rather than something that's been established at one point in time by God, maybe a book of uh, life. You know, there's a book of life, there's a book of uh, remembrance, there's, there's books, the heavenly books, divine recordings throughout the Bible, and some of them are your past deeds. There's probably books about your sin. And so if, if that is the case, then it's not a metaphysical record, but it is some sort of established record individual offenses, which then can, can perhaps, as the Bible writes, be blotted out. Maybe your sins can be blotted out. They can't in a metaphysical system. In a metaphysical system, there's some sort of hard and fast law that attaches them to you for all of eternity and they might be mitigated by some sort of other metaphysical event but they don't get blotted out of record or memory as the bible often describes our sins so reading this tweet again two possible orientations towards sin sin as transgression against others or sin as transgression against yourself the later is a masculine way sin as a tangible record of the imperfections of your soul so it's not clear that the biblical way is the masculine way you got elements of both throughout the bible sin as a list of uh, faults that you do against a moral code and sin as putting yourself in the wrong with regards to others. Zero Lovecraft writes, so we try to recover masculinity from the ascendant feminine, but we tend to overcorrect. And when we do, we build something that's every bit as flimsy and two-dimensional as the thing we're trying to escape. This is a pretty good point. Nobody wants to live in a world that's wholly masculine, which cause and consequence always happens, which there's always rule and sanction without any tolerance because that world is tyrannical. When my kids are fighting, I'll go down and I'll query the situation. Maybe one hit the other. I'll say, I won't just outright punish the individual who punched or uh, the individual who's crying or anything like that. You'll ask what happened. You'll figure out the circumstances and then you'll figure out a punishment or if you're going to do anything per circumstances. Sometimes it's a good idea just to let kids fight it out so then they can learn their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're willing to uh, aggravate. You know, if, if you're if you have uh, 20 pounds less than a kid you're, you're trying to aggravate, it's probably not a good to aggravate them. And if adults are stepping in, you're probably not going to learn that lesson. And so Taking individual circumstances into account and figuring out the background before you impart any punishment or letting it inform your punishment, it's, it's a good idea or else you live in a world of injustice. If everything is enforced without regard to circumstance, that would be unjust. Why were you speeding? Well, my wife was pregnant and we're trying to get to the hospital. Well, you get fined anyways. That that seems like injustice. There's there's a there's a good reason for your violation of the code. If the overfeminine fails to enforce boundaries, leaving the soul disordered, then the overmasculine creates two rigid boundaries, leaving the soul stifled. <laughs> I like to think back to uh, the Baptists who want to make dancing illegal. And they want to make drinking illegal and things like that. It's uh, this soul crushing. This this uh, soul crushing. They don't allow people artistic freedom to live and to have fun. Anything that's seen as pleasurable is to be denied. 
this sort of weird, weird cultural thing where we can't live and be happy with life. We must live their their terrible lives that they want to enforce on everyone. And so we do, we don't want to live in those worlds. We we want freedom. We want individual expression. We want to be people, be free to innovate, love, live, laugh. Uh, we we don't want tyranny. He writes, in our endless musical chairs of ideology, we declare some act a mortal sin and then become insufferable scolds. Uh, this this is part of the reason I love people. You know, I uh, love people because people tend to take these insufferable scolds and they will troll these people. The mayor of New York just recently put out a tip line for you to inform on people that are violating the social bans. And instantly it is flooded with... Uh, male genitalia pictures and Nazi memes, uh, which which is fantastic that uh, the people are rising up and trolling these insufferable scolds, these people who want to control other people, who want to try to take down people just, just because those people aren't conforming to what you wish that they, how they acted. And so some, some bright spots in this whole coronavirus pandemic. Think about the internet. If you use the wrong word one time in your life, uh, you will be hounded for the rest of your life. People will pull up your old works and tweets and try to destroy your life, destroy your life based on something you said. But remember, remember, in a feminine society, that, that only goes one way. And so you could be maybe the prime minister of Canada or a democratic governor of like uh, one of these uh, East Coast states and literally have worn blackface. Uh, walked around pretending to be a black man in blackface and nothing bad will happen to you. But if you're Megyn Kelly, who's seen as a right-leaning individual, if you just suggest that it was okay back in the day and it didn't have racial connotations or anything like that, then you will be destroyed. Your life will be destroyed. Double standards because we live in this feminine world where the only offense is having any moral standards. Lovecraft writes, no one is more guilty of this than a new convert to an old religion. The zeal of a recently devout, having found living water after decades of thirst, may cause him to drown himself. Cage stage Calvinist, that's a term we're all familiar with. Authority is better than depravity, but this is still a depraved way to live. And this type of masculinity, which is so readily to condemn you for the slightest transgression, cannot sustain itself because it fails to think holistically. If you're persecuting people for one transgression, if you're throwing them out and destroying them, that's it's not a sustainable system. And Christians want this system in their theology. They want a system where one sin separates from you, you from God. And Calvinists will boldly declare to the world that uh, the, the wonder is not that God came to save you, save some, but the wonder is why God doesn't instantly kill us all now and send us all to hell now. For even one violation, one violation is worthy of hell for all eternity. This is their mindset. This this is how they think. It's it doesn't uh, reflect the biblical standards of righteousness and morality. It's this totalitarian masculine system without regards to feminine justice, mercy, and tolerance that we do see within the Bible. Lovecraft writes, so what I want to do today is think about a theory of sin, and the reason I say theory is that a strict moral code is itself a kind of sin. Every moral scenario is idiosyncratic, and all rules have exceptions. And so in the biblical code, we already saw that 
sin was loosely defined as transgressing against one another. And so in that way, could God have sinned when Jeremiah basically says that God has violated him and uses rape imagery? Is that a sin? Is God sinning against Job when he allows or commands uh, Job to suffer these things throughout the book of Job? Even, even if you take the position that it's Satan and Satan's just doing it on his own volition, is God sinning against Job by allowing this to happen? You could, in a loose sense of sin, call that a sin against people. So when the Bible talks about goodness and God's righteousness, perhaps those individuals are not talking metaphysics, but giving a value judgment of God. I've seen the things that God does. I've seen his character. I've seen how he acts. And God is good. God is righteous. God is just. It's a moral evaluation rather than a metaphysical claim. God is good because that's his metaphysics. And then there's this metaphysical moral standard that he follows completely because it's his character and he could never deviate. That doesn't seem to be their mindset. Morality in the Bible doesn't seem to be as hard and fast as that, but morality does get established in the Bible. Lovecraft writes, a successful moral institution has to thread the needle between moral anarchy, femininity, and moral tyranny, masculinity. The moral order is a complex system, just like a human body, just like large-scale engineering project, just like a corporation or the government. Complexity can seem perverse or redundant, but it evolves organically. When operating in hostile conditions, you need failbacks and failovers. Over time, processes trade away simplicity to grain robusticity. Robusticity. In a complex system, partial failure is normative. Your body can tolerate small health problems. A business can be profitable with some problem employees or pathological processes. The hallmark of a complex system is the ability to operate successfully in a partially degraded state. Sometimes these corporations, uh, I, I've been following this comics gig stuff, sometimes these corporations just have so much money that they could, they could, they could put out all their ideology, preachy comic books that don't sell. No one's buying this stuff, but they just keep pumping money into that. But as soon as times get tough, these things have to go away. Things that are unprofitable have to be cut from the system, and they have to turn back to the customer and start focusing on the customer. Focus on profit-making rather than their preaching, rather than their little side projects that don't bring any real value to anyone, that no one cares about. We often don't notice failure until it becomes a catastrophe, and when that happens, we take whatever failure we observe at the time of the catastrophe, and we blame that we develop a hardened or tyrannical attitude towards that failure specifically. And so you get one mass shooting, and mass shootings are going down, a number of gun deaths are going down per capita throughout the U.S. over time, over history, school deaths are going down throughout time, over history, per capita, but but you get one mass shooting and people want to take a tyrannical approach. We must confiscate from millions of Americans all weapons, all firearms to make up for this one thing in a nation of 300 million. 30 people died, uh, so we're going to deprive rights from people in a country of 300 million people. This is their mindset. And remember, selective enforcement. They ban certain magazines of a certain size, and a news anchor the same day will go on his program, holding up one of those 30-round magazines. Nothing bad happens to him because there's double standards. We live in a feminine America where it's rules for you and not for me. 
Lovecraft writes, the hazard of the masculine tyrannical model is that it routinely mistakes fault tolerance for moral sanction. You try to live by a code, but inevitably you will make a mistake. Unfortunately, God does not zap you for it. So these tyrannical male models, if if something happens, I'll, I'll use the example of the Bob Enyard debate on Huffington Post. So there was a marijuana debate, which two people would write articles about uh, whether marijuana should be legal or illegal. And Bob Enyard's case was basically that marijuana was bad and it hurt people. And uh, apparently, presumably, that apparently means that we need to legislate against it. He didn't really make that case. Instead, he made the case that marijuana was harmful, which it may or may not be. But in a masculine mindset, having something not illegal is the same as endorsing it. So if, if I don't want my personal, uh, my personal preferences legislated, apparently all those things I'm endorsing. It, this, this, this is a terrible model. This is a terrible mindset. It's a wrong mindset. People, people should be free to innovate, to create. They should be able to say things that I don't like. They should be able to do that. And uh, my not wanting to use the guns of the state against them because they do that does not mean that I endorse or like what they do. For example, you're free to like Family Guy, which the humor basically is just forced humor where they just throw out a reference. And if you're familiar with the reference, then you're tricked into thinking that it's funny. So it's it's not very good humor. It's bad writing and it's lowbrow writing. And I, I look down very harshly on anyone who likes Family Guy humor. But uh, I don't want it illegal. People should be free to like terrible media. That, that, that should be their prerogative. So we're still talking about the male model. This is bad because each time you get away with it, a transgression against a moral principle, your faith in the principle is weakened. If there are too many safety nets, this creates a moral illusion that sin does not exist. If there's never any consequences to your bad acts, you get a mental state that the sin does not exist. We see this in murderers. People start killing people. Uh, then they step it up, and pretty soon life is nothing to them. If there's, if there's no consequences for your bad act, you start acting as if those acts don't exist. We could take Jeffrey Epstein and his whole child uh, exploitation cult where people, they they slowly get ingrained into these activities. They, they take small little steps, and when those steps don't have any real consequences, they don't have any legal or moral consequences, they, they step up to the next level. And pretty soon, you're involved with a child sex trafficking cult because there's no consequences to your further acts. You, you, you get sucked into these systems. We have social antibodies to protect us against tyranny, but we have nothing to protect us against permissiveness. We mistake all authority for tyranny, but we aren't wise enough to instinctively mistrust freedom. So here he's warning against permissiveness as well. We don't want to be a society that permits everything. We don't want to be a society in which it's okay for little kids to dance provocatively for men in strip clubs for cash or dance twerk for men, grown men in gay pride parades surrounded by naked individuals, naked grown men with little kids. This is not the type of society we want. Overly permissiveness will lead uh, to social and moral decay. It will lead to destruction of society. Zero Lovecraft writes, You will often find that the damage caused by a single mistake is not even visible. Many errors are latent and their severity only becomes clear at the moment of crisis. This is very much true for systems because systems are complex. And so you might drink 
maybe a cup of bleach a day and uh, you might be okay. But uh, it, when other parts of your system are compensating for that, it's only in a moment of a moral crisis or a health crisis that that will become apparent that that was not a good sustaining idea all along. Uh, the economy, for example, people think, oh, these minimum wages are so good. See, we, we could pass them and we don't see ill effects. Well, you don't see ill effects because uh, you're not at a moment of critical failure in the system. Other parts of the system are compensating. There are substitution effects going on that uh, make up for whatever laws or rules that you're imposing on the system that are arbitrary and destructive. Even so, single sins don't matter as much as trends, which is a way of saying habitual sins. Zero tolerance is simple to implement, but in practice, it's unsustainably brittle. These individuals who uh, hate alcohol, these uh, teetotalers, all alcohol should be illegal. Then you ask them, well, do you use mouthwash with alcohol? And then they'll say either, well, they'll say, oh, no, I don't do anything with alcohol. They'll say, oh, that's okay. You're not really drinking it. It's like, well, do you, do you want it or not? Do you, do you want your system imposed or not? Because I think it's impractical. Any type, anytime you're eating any type of fruit, it's bound to have just a little bit of alcohol, something in that, because uh, anything like that starts fermenting right away. And so your system's unworkable. If there's no tolerance, if there's no fault tolerance, it's, it's just, it's not a practical system that no one, no one can live by your system that you're, you're uh, advocating. But that doesn't mean just because you tolerate some slippage, you tolerate uh, people drinking once a month, people drinking at weddings like Jesus did and uh, his first miracle, he, he gave drunk people more alcohol. But even though you tolerate occasional drinking does not mean that you're endorsing the drunkard lifestyle, going out and drinking, living to drink, getting drunk every night. Uh, that in the Bible is considered a sin, but the Bible doesn't work with these standards that Christians want to impose. So they'll see the Bible talking against gluttony. They'll see the Bible talking against sloth. They'll see the Bible talking against drunkenness. And so then they will turn to the extreme, which the Bible doesn't do, and try to illegalize all alcohol. Try to illegalize uh, uh, watching movies. Uh, it is pretty funny. All watching movies is sin because uh, you're not using that time to do whatever, read the Bible, something. There's people like that that exist. They're, they're out there. I've met them in person, face to face, talking to these people. They exist. This is not biblical standards. This is a masculine standard being imposed on the biblical standard, which allows more flexibility, which is not hard and fast with with the tolerance. Lovecraft writes, the same is true of civilizations as individuals. One bad law, idea, institution isn't what sinks us. A catastrophe requires many failures in concert. I want you to understand both sin and civic decay holistically as points of failure in robust and complex systems. This will enable you to practice justice and forgiveness in simultaneity. This will allow you to feel pessimism without fatalism. More importantly, this will prevent you from mistaking fault tolerance for moral anarchy. If traditions are so important, why can't we peel them away one by one without a collapse? Now you know the answer. So why can't we strip away traditionalism? Because traditionalism has been built up. It's a complex system that has been collecting from, from as long as we can remember and ripping that away will cause the system to fail. We're, we're seeing all sorts of societies in Europe decay because they're importing all sorts of individuals with completely different mindsets than the native populations. 
and it's fundamentally changing the structure of those countries as we are seeing. As we see happen in Paris, for example, Paris, it's, it's a completely different place than it was 10 years ago. Just talking to a guy the other day, came back from Europe, completely different place. And so while society can sustain these small changes, it's only a series of changes over a prolonged period that causes the catastrophic failure. In your efforts to build theories of masculine virtue, don't consider disgraceful degradation in the face of failure. Don't fail is the contingency plan of an idiot. When you do this, you invite much deserved ridicule. Your, your plans, your moral systems, your laws have to plan for failure. It has to plan for tolerance. It has to give some laxity to the laws. It can't be tyrannically enforced consistently, but but it also can't be arbitrary. We think about God's justice throughout the Bible, where God is judging Nineveh. He says, am I going to destroy these people? They don't know their left from their right hand. Arguably, these are the most wicked people at that time. Throughout that known world, these were the most wicked people, and God had sympathy for them because of their ignorance, because of their position. God judges, not based on this masculine tyranny of one wrong move, and then you get hell for all eternity. That's not a biblical value. Uh, instead, God takes circumstances into account. It doesn't mean it's arbitrary that you get away with whatever sin you want whenever, but God does consider circumstances throughout the Bible. What happens if you fail to implement this masculine system? The liberals that you hate will watch you fail to implement your brittle morality and gloat. See, promiscuity and profligacy are good. At the, the, this is literally what happens. So I was uh, writing for the college newspaper. I was in this newspaper meeting, and there's a pro-abortionist person um, that I was sitting across from, and we're talking about, I'm trying to argue, abortion should definitely be illegal. It should be illegal to murder people. It should be illegal to murder innocent people. And he said, that won't stop all abortions, because he thought in his head, in his mind, that my system doesn't account for people subverting the law which it absolutely did, and so I pointed out it will at the margin. It's, it's not like making something illegal, people are going to do more of it. Uh, some people will be dissuaded from killing their kids if abortion is illegal. And uh, he really didn't have a response for that. He, he just wanted to say that if there were any faults or failures in the system that I want to impose, uh, then my system is invalid, which is not the case. Laws influence at the margin. It, it will. People act rationally at the margin. And if you create an incentive, that incentive will affect people at the margin. These types are common. First, they learn a few sympathetic signals and then undermine you with reasonable, reasonable positions. The only sin under liberalism is having a moral code. The only sin is being a man, and it makes the same rotten argument over and over. You sinned and nothing bad happened, right? Your moral code is the problem. Yeah, in liberalism, the only sin is being a man and having a moral code. Who's the sinner? Not the person who takes the, uh, the kid who's a preteen and has them dance for other men for money in provocative outfits in a homosexual strip club. And that's that's those aren't the evil people. The evil people is the Christian right outside with a sign saying, God will judge you for sin. The only sin in liberalism is being a man and having a moral code. So turning back to the Bible, let's turn to the early books of the Bible. And sin seems to be an offense against individuals. And it seems, seems to be because God 
has aligned himself with Israel. He's aligned himself with the widow, the orphan, the stranger. That offenses against those individuals are offenses against God. From the paper, The Hebrew View of Sin, we read, The sins of the people were not violations of some published code of morality. No such code is appealed to. They consist in trespass upon the rights of the widow, the orphan, and the client, who were recognized by Yahweh as under his care. So morality was tribal. You're affiliated with a tribe, a people group. You're affiliated with a sovereign. And individual trespasses against people in those individuals was a transgress against all. Sin was relational. Sin was against the person and not against a moral code. Is what this guy's arguing. He's not arguing that this is the system throughout the Bible. He writes, it is sometimes said that the wrath of Yahweh is roused only by those offenses which, which break the covenant between him and his people. But there is no evidence that these sins of which the prophet speaks were regarded as breaches of covenant. All that is assumed is that the rights of those who cannot protect themselves are cared for by God. God is the advocate for the underdogs. The God is the advocate for the underclass. So violating them is violating God because of his affiliation with them. Even the rights of the foreigners are thus protective. Joseph would sin against God if he trespassed upon the marital rights of his master. The men of Sodom were sinners against Yahweh in that they violated the common sense of decency as well as the rights of hospitality. Damascus, Edom, and Moab are denounced because they have outraged humanity by their cruelty. This reminds me of the outcry that comes out up to God throughout the Bible. In Jonah, the outcry comes to God. In Exodus, the outcry comes to God. People are appealing to God to step in and write some sort of violation between parties. He is the arbiter, and he's going to step in and write that wrong. Up to this point, we have no reason to suppose that the Old Testament writers conceive sin as apostasy from God or transgression of his law. It's interesting throughout the Bible that it's not a sin for foreigners to worship other gods, but it is a sin for Israel, who had a covenant relationship with Yahweh, to break off to other gods. We don't see wars of, of jihad. We don't see wars of religion. We don't see crusades to convert the heathen. Instead, we find if there is wars, it's based on moral grounds, that people are violating uh, their children, they're killing their children, they are doing uh, weird sexual acts, and, and for those reasons, war is acceptable against those people. Sin is anything which offends a person, and God is prominent in the thought of the writers because he is the most powerful person whom one is in danger of offending. It is clear, however, that at some point in history, the idea that sin is transgression of divine uh, command comes in. It's probable that this view became predominant only after the establishment of the monarchy. And it is probable that the case law preceded a code or body of statutes. And so before Israel, they operated off a system of judges. Wrongs were righted by individual tribesmen against each other. Different clans had different affiliations. And a violation of one person of your clan by a different clan was cause for interclanal warfare. There, there's, there's retribution. So, for example, when the Levite's uh, concubine was cut up by the tribe of Benjamin, Various other tribes banded together to right that wrong, to punish Benjamin collectively for this transgression against others. And so you, you see morality more as a collective punishment against 
violations of each other rather than violation of an established moral law. So what have we talked about and learned about today? We learned about masculine tyranny and women permissivity in which uh, men want sanction and they want law and sanction and women want individually based, uh, personal based justice where it doesn't matter if you've actually violated rules or not. You just care about the person above all else. And both models at the extreme uh, turn into social dystopias. They turn into tyrannies. They turn into uh, current American jurisprudence is a very good example of a hyper-feminized society in which laws are selectively enforced against uh, those in society deemed to not to be thought criminals, deemed not to have the right opinions. This is, this is not the system that we want to live in. We need some structure, but the structure can't not allow slippage. The, just, the justice has to allow some mercy in some circumstances. And the American uh, jury system was supposed to do it with jury nullification. Uh, the, the Texas dad who, who took the guy who was abusing his uh, daughter and he killed that guy. Um, and the jury let him off, even though the guy was definitely guilty. That's how the system is supposed to work. It's supposed to allow slippage against the established law with a mercy mindset. It's not supposed to enforce tyrannical laws against individuals. It's supposed to allow some slippage. And that is a good system uh, in which laws are enforced, laws are respected, but individual circumstances are also considered. And that's what we see in God's law throughout the Bible. God uh, judges people based as individuals, although people don't get away with flagrant disregard of Yahweh and his laws. If you know better and you're doing it, you're definitely guilty. You're definitely getting some sort of repercussion, unless there's mitigating factors, of course. But I definitely think it's a mistake to take the Calvinist position that it's a wonder why God doesn't instantly send us all to hell. And it's a marvelous thing that he's only saving some because we all need hell. It's a bad position to take. I don't think it's a biblical position to take. And it's dangerous. It disregards wide swaths of the Bible and Yahweh's nature and character. Anyways, that's about it for uh, now. We've gone long enough. I've probably offended almost everybody, and so we'll kind of stop there. If you want to uh, criticize me or comment, suggestions, put that below, or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening. <laughs>